The opinions voiced in Wall Street to Main Street are offered for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, or financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Advisory services offered through Wealth Plan Partners. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Wealth Plan Partners, Hamilton Wealth Management, and Securities America are separate entities. Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to Wall Street to Main Street. Yeah, we're, we're living in America, even those of us here in New York State, uh, sort of, I guess. So Tom Hamilton here, president of Hamilton Wealth Management in Pittsburgh, New York, host of Wall Street to Main Street every Friday on this new blowtorch of a uh, station WYSL that Bob D'Angelo is producing the show just told me they uh, got the approval and we've boosted the power up to 27,000 watts. That might, I, I, can I talk more quietly then? I, I don't really know how watts work when it comes to radio stations, but I guess it, I guess the broadcast heads towards Syracuse and Buffalo much stronger. Interestingly, when we vacation up in Canada, I can always hear WYSL on the other side of uh, Lake Ontario. Uh, which is where we vacation, and I'm sure it'll be clearer, louder and clearer now. So good news for WYSL, and congrats to Bob Savage, Bob D'Angelo, and the guys at WYSL for getting that boost in power. All right. Um, yeah, so just saw the news, so I might be a, a little behind on the details of the story, uh, but Trump has been ordered to pay a $364 million penalty in New York State for uh, basically for overvaluing the properties he had when he went for, uh, you know, in applications for loans, banks or other other lenders. Now, I haven't followed this case all that closely. Of course, it's politically motivated. Again, I'm not a Trump, uh, a, a Trump excuser. And I see the faults in Trump, and I believe he probably did. The organization did increase the values of these properties, but but when you're going for a business for a loan, a property loan uh, for a building or a development or something like that, uh, the lenders don't take your valuation at gospel truth. Obviously, they do their own valuation. They do their own. Uh, you know, they. They value the property and they underwrite it themselves. That is the job of a lender and a banker. So my understanding of this case is, again, I'm assuming, yes, the properties were stated at a higher value than probably what they would have gotten on the open market. Uh, I believe it's it's the job of the underwriter then to decide what value they want to put on it, right? They they don't have to loan the money because Trump said uh, – uh, Billion dollar building was worth two billion, right? They can say no, it's worth half a billion. We'll give you two hundred million as a loan. So, the bottom line is, uh, I do believe this could be a blow to the Trump organization because uh, commercial property, even in New York City, commercial property in general is is not in great in a great situation, and a lot of these commercial loans are shorter-term loans. They're not 30-year mortgages 
typically like you'd have with, with a home purchase. And there may be a lot of debt coming due on these properties over the next bunch of years. And they certainly will have a tougher time, at least in New York State, getting loans for these properties, I would think. And the $364 million. Again, I don't know if that's real, right? A lot of these uh, judgments in lawsuits, the money never really gets paid in anything near the dollar amount, that, that the headline dollar amount. I don't know if, if that's over a number of years. I don't really know where that number comes from. Uh, but but it, but it could be difficult for Trump. Uh, the, the continued Trump-Biden march towards an election is just an embarrassment. I, I, I again, I'm assuming this is was mostly politically motivated. I get that, right? That doesn't absolve Trump of having done what they said he did. But but my guess is if if he was you know friends with. Uh, the governor of New York State not running for president as a Republican, this would have never happened. This this case would have never happened because it, the, nobody claimed the lenders were harmed with this. That's the crazy thing. That there was no victim in in this supposed scheme. So, of course, it's politically motivated. Then you've got Biden on the other hand, you know, bumbling around like a, a, a uh, an old worn out fool. And by the way, I talked about this last week on the show. Please, please, media, stop with the age thing. Please stop with the age thing. There's plenty of 80, 81-year-olds who are very, you know, physically vigorous and mentally extremely sharp, okay? And there's some that aren't. Biden is one that isn't. So it isn't just age, which they're trying to, you know, they're trying to make people feel bad about picking on an old man. Uh, which he is, but he's a very, very, very old 81. And President, former President Trump, our other option, as, as it appears right now, and I still say they both won't make it to the finish line for the election, but our other option, he's also an old man. And he's he just, uh, again, my take on Trump, I, I know it upsets or annoys some of the listeners to the show because we have a very, very conservative audience. And you know I'm a very fiscally conservative person, right? I believe in, you know, the, the national debt makes me sick to my stomach, the irresponsible spending in Washington under both Republican and Democrat regimes make me sick to my stomach. But I'm an issue-by-issue issue and person-by-person person type uh, voter and thinker, and I, Trump's just a jerk. I, I, I got he, he might be your jerk. He might be... Uh, a better jerk than the than the old uh, mentally slowing down option we have. That's for the voters to decide. But the bottom line is, this is just another nail in the coffin of the joke we have of an election coming up. And it's just, it, it, quite frankly, it's shameful for the country. It, there's no, there can't be any other country in the world that pays attention to the United States that isn't saying, what the bleep is wrong with these people? This is what they've come up with. These are their choices. Like we, we criticize a lot of the leaders of our uh, nemesis and enemy countries around the world. Believe me, nobody inside those countries are as embarrassed as what we've got going. Nobody's as, as bad of incompetent or, well, maybe some are as bad. I, I, you know, there's Putin and there's a few others. But again, as far as being able to 
uh, be a legitimate world leader, we're dealing with two of the worst options out of the hundreds of millions of people in our country right here. So I don't know what it winds up doing to the Trump organization. I, I think commercial real estate is going to be one of the legs down in 2024 in the economy. Like, like I kind of am thinking now we're going to talk about the latest economic news and inflation uh, rearing its ugly head and that type of thing in the next segment. But I think we're headed for flat out full stage stagflation by the middle of this year. And part of that, maybe leading that, will be commercial real estate problems. Now, is it going to be a financial contagion like the 2008 and 2009 financial collapse? To be honest with you, I'm not going to say no, because I don't know. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. You never know how the dominoes are going to fall. And these things, you know, a, a ripple here, a wave there, tur turns into a tsunami over there. That's what can sometimes happen in financial markets. But I do fully believe the commercial real estate lending uh, business is in for extreme upheaval. I don't, I don't see how it's possible for it not to happen. When you have properties uh, who, whose mortgages, whose last financing is running out, and they might have financed it at 4 or 5%, and that building is only half full, and now financing is going to be 9 10%, so their debt load goes through the roof while their income is down, there's no way to resolve that without foreclosures and bankruptcies and other significant issues. So I, I literally can't envision how that can be avoided uh, this year and, and next year as these commercial loans come due. So, uh, you know, two, two ways we look at that at my firm, Hamilton Wealth Management, we need to be careful investing in and around these areas. Uh, and we need to be on the lookout for opportunity as this thing unfolds in these areas. Uh, so that's one thing. But also, you have to have a, a raised antenna for the potential contagion that these can cause. And again, the economic news we got this week and what's gone on so far this year and the Fed, what the Fed actually says versus what Wall Street keeps say, thinking is going to happen, it lends itself to the possibility that rates aren't coming down significantly this year and we won't have the ability to refinance these properties or these commercial uh, real estate projects as, uh, you know, at, at a reasonable rate again, as the current low rates wind down. So uh, it, it, it bears watching. I think the Trump situation, oh, the last thing I wanted to say about the Trump uh, persecution, the business persecution in New York State, uh, again, because there was no claim of harm for, for any of the lenders from this, it was a conviction and a prosecution with no victim. And you can't deny, again, if you're anti-Trump, come on, you, you know this was partly or mostly politically motivated, right? The Republicans do it too. I'm not saying the Republicans don't do political hit jobs. This, this one's a similar one. And what you have is what you have. You, you, you are setting a bad tone here in New York State Right, a bad tone saying this is a New York business person who has their you know uh, headquarters for a long time in New York City. 
They've been a big player in, in the development of parts of New York. Uh, you know, pluses and minuses to how they've done that. But if you don't agree with the politics in Albany, this is what you could have coming for you. And this scares the crap out of anybody with capital looking to invest. They already have qualms about investing in New York State, you know, starting a business, starting a development, starting real estate ventures because of the tax situation we have. Well, this adds to it that if you don't agree with whoever the powers that be are at the time, uh, you, you can run into something that can put your organization that you've built for really two generations at a, uh, you know, in the crosshairs and put, possibly, possibly bring it down. So not a good look for New York State, to be honest. All right, Bobby D, let's take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, we've got two different inflation reports out in retail sales that, that could be telling for what's to come in the economy. You're listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Be right there. I walk along the city streets you used to walk along with me. And every step I take reminds me of just how this is Wall Street to Main Street with your host, Tom Hamilton. Back here on Wall Street to Main Street. I hope your Friday and your weekend's off to a great start. Uh, you know, it's, it, I, I always do a sun, sunshine and daylight report about in the second segment. So it's 420 and it's not looking even close to dark out yet. So the the Dark days of winter are brightening a little bit. I mean, there's no sun. We, we did get some earlier. Was that last week? I forget when we had sun. It, it was quite a surprise to have it. It was uh, well-received. So anyhow, that's, that's Western New York weather, and that's what we're used to at this time of year. All right, so, yeah, so what's going on in the economy? Where are interest rates going? You, you know, was Wall Street full of, you know what, thinking there were going to be six or seven Fed rate decreases this year? Uh, first of all, the answer to that is, yeah, I think so. I've thought so from the beginning. Uh, again, the markets were counting on these the Fed reducing rates to continue to boost and, and goose the economy, you know, spike the punch bowl. I, I think the mistake made is the confusion that the only reason the Fed would have to re- lower rates is if the economy is falling off a cliff, which isn't great for stocks. Why would that be great for stocks? So anyhow, what was today? We got the producer price index, the wholesale, it's the wholesale producer price index, increased significantly more than expected. The core number was up half a percent for January, uh, which was it was expected to be about zero percent after last month being zero percent. So producer price, of course, eventually gets passed on to consumer price. And lo and behold, earlier this week, we did have the Consumer Price Index, which which showed an increase of 0.3% over last month. So 0.3%, you know, if you multiply that out times 12, that's 3.6% on an annual running forward level. But the core number was even higher. Right? It was 0.4%, which is 4.8% inflation if you carry it out for a year. So... Those two numbers at least temporarily spooked the markets uh, in, in thinking that, oh, my gosh, maybe the Fed isn't going to 
drop rates because inflation isn't under control. And remember, when we start talking about three and a half, four and a half, five for inflation, and that doesn't sound so horrible to you, that's only because we're coming off of, uh, you know, 10% inflation a couple of years ago and then 6.5% inflation. This is all the, the new inflation, the current inflation, of course, is on top of the old inflation. So whatever the number is that we're up from three years ago on prices, it's got to be, for most things, 25 30%. For other things, 50%, 60%. We have a significant inflation problem. And again, Wall Street, Washington, and sometimes the Fed have trouble realizing that. Not a single consumer in America doesn't understand that that's a current problem, right? No, nobody goes to Wegmans and leaves, you know, you have to leave your firstborn there in order to get a week's worth of groceries. No, nobody doesn't know that inflation isn't ridiculous. You know, try, try re-upping or changing your auto insurance. You know, that's the latest in the extreme price increases. Look at the cost of houses, for God's sakes, the cost of rent. So everybody knows this is the case. Here's the other story that came out this week that should add extra concern. Retail sales, which is the, one of the primary tests of the health of the consumer, are down 0.8% for January, which, which is huge for a month. That's a gigantic drop. It was only supposed to go down 0.2%. And so, so that's a, whatever, a, a 400% worse number th- than was expected. And then December was revised down, which happens all the time. So if retail sales are faltering, and this is just one month, right? So it, is, it doesn't tell the whole story. But the last bastion of hope for our economy is always us as consumers, retail consumers. And over the last year, you've seen credit card debt go through the roof. Of course, student loan debt, we already know, is through the roof. There are these new, uh, you know, buy now, pay later services that people, people are buying stuff on and taking on debt. Uh, mortgage debt is through the roof. So our debt, you know, we're basically tapped out. Well, we are tapped out on savings. Everybody knows that as a country. Certainly some of us more fiscally conservative people that, that budget our spending and, and are careful with uh, not spending more than we make. We have savings. Maybe you have savings. But America as a whole, on average, their savings that were built up during COVID because we weren't spending anything and because the government was giving out all sorts of free money, those savings are gone. You know, the the uh, conventional wisdom is that they kind of ran out about six, eight, ten months ago as people started to spend again and spent through that savings. Now we've tapped out credit cards, uh, other borrowing and such, and auto loans and all that are, are at record highs. So there just isn't money left to spend. There isn't money left to spend. And this is the beginning of what I believe will settle in as stagflation. And, you know, if you're a little older than I am, because stagflation is is a term from the 70s, where I was alive, but I didn't give a darn about economic stuff. I I was a, uh, you know, a a child and then a teenager during the 70s. 
So, you know, I, I cared about sports and playing and digging holes in the backyard and then eventually girls and stuff like that. I uh, didn't care about inflation. That was my parents' problem. But if you're a little older than me and you remember stagflation, having experienced it yourself as an adult or, or a young adult, you know stagflation is a bad situation. It's where the economy is not growing and faltering, and you continue with inflation. And I, I believe we're either there or soon to be there. And again, I said in the last segment when I talked about the Trump thing, because it pertained to commercial real estate and commercial real estate loans, I think the commercial real estate uh, refinancing and trying to uh, get tenants for these properties where people want to stay home and not work or want to work remote, I think that can be a big catalyst in pushing stagflation over the edge. Now, again, said in the last segment, I always say this, it's a fool's errand to try to figure out exactly how far such a financial issue, like the commercial loan issue, uh, like the banking issue that we've had a little bit of trouble with a year ago, banks going bankrupt. Uh, re- recently, there's a couple issues with some uh, some, some regional banks. Uh, in, in the 80s, or I mean, in the, in the 2008, 2009, it was the Lehman Brothers thing. Everybody shrugged their shoulders. Then it wound up being a full contagion and a financial meltdown, right? In, in, 90, in the 90s, we had the dot-com implosion, and it took the whole market with it. So now we're the, the, we're the next generation of a potentially overvalued market. And will stagflation or potential stagflation or the, and or the commercial real estate issue, which I think will, will come to a head this year and into next year, will those lead to more? It could, right? It could. That's why as an investment advisor, investment manager, I'm vigilant about this stuff. And we position to be agile to to deal with it. But predicting exactly how far it goes, that's a fool's errand and impossible to do. If you're listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton, we'll be right back. Listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Hey, welcome back to Wall Street to Main Street. Yeah, that guy, all that, that Tom Hamilton from Hamilton Wealth Management from the last commercial. So uh, I, I don't remember his phone number. I think he says it in the commercial, but I, I know the website is HamiltonWealthManagement.com. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess that you can find the phone number or the contact us button right there at HamiltonWealthManagement.com. But anyhow, uh, yeah, he, he's a good guy, too. I, I, he sounds like a really good guy. All right. Investing in 2024 in the bond world and fixed income. Everybody always likes to talk stocks, and, and we are going to do a little stock talk, uh, talk about uh, artificial intelligence investing in the next segment. Uh, but I wanted to cap off what I was talking about with the uh, interest rate situation and uh, inflation, st- possibly stagflation situation. I want I want to 
uh, go into that a little bit more on the end of you, you know what I do with my day job, which is in managing money and helping uh, our clients reach their goals either into or, or through retirement. So often people use bonds as a as a offset, uh, part, partly for income, but also as an offset to their stock portfolios. You know, when, when one is doing well, maybe the other isn't, and then in, in other times, maybe the bonds support the stocks. But we, we don't really look at it that way at our firm. We, we like to have a diversified bunch of investments and make sure that each investment on its own is an investment we like. And we control risk through a lot of analysis and calculations and, you know, the blend of investments we have for each client, which can be different depending on somebody's situation and the risk tolerance, obviously, and the risk they really want to take. Uh, rarely do we have a client that says, just put me all in the riskiest stocks. And if that person came to us, we'd say, we're not the firm for you, right? There's probably somebody that would that might be able to take that person on. But that's not what we do. We deal with people that have, by and large, saved and invested enough to either have a comfortable or a very comfortable retirement between their various sources of income, one of which being from their investments. So, you know, I wouldn't say our job is to just not lose it because that wouldn't be true. We do want to grow the money. We do want to derive enough income for them to live on. That isn't always that easy to do. And we're not what I would call a super conservative firm. We just invest in a little different manner than some of the other firms. So the bond market is a classic example. If you listen to the show, I've been down on the bond market as a whole for three years probably. In 2022, the bond market took a kick in the teeth. Uh, Last year, I mean, it did okay, not well. I was just looking the ag, the 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 bond ag aggregate bond market, which kind of covers all different parts of the bond market. It's starting down again this year. So, just a refresher: in general, bond funds and ETFs go up in value when rates go down. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but it's just math. It's just math. That's how bond math works. When rates go up the value of bond funds or ETFs go down. Yes, the amount that they can pay in a dividend may go up over time, but the value of the asset goes down. And this is just how the bond market works. So this year, again, many Wall Street uh, sooth tellers, fortune tellers, I call them, that try to predict exactly what's going to happen, and then they change their predictions 10 times during the year. They were saying it's a a great time to be in the long bond market. You you know, saddle up to those long-term, at the time, were 3.8% 30-year and 10-year treasuries because they're going to do just great as rates because the Fed's going to drop rates five or six times this year. Well, now that's looking unlikely. And again, I didn't understand why why they thought that was likely in the first place. The Fed's job is to keep unemployment low, the, the, the unemployment number they use, the official unemployment number is low. And the other part of the, the Fed's charter is to keep inflation low. They say at exactly 2%. Uh, that, that's kind of what they've made up. But the charter is to keep inflation under control, price stability. Uh, we're not at 2%, right? We're not at 2%. So they really have no reason 
to drop rates unless the economy falls off a cliff. So the bottom line is we're still, and and we've been at our firm for for our safest money, which some clients have a little of, some clients have a lot of, but our safest money, we've been adding lots to uh, treasury money markets, you know, government money markets, still paying 5%-ish, maybe maybe a little bit more, uh, some of them. So uh, short-term treasury ETFs, right? Zero to three-month treasury ETFs we've been using. Now, again, am I saying you should buy these things? No, no, for two reasons. A, I don't know your situation. I don't know if they're appropriate for you, right? We, we only do that with clients on a one-on-one basis. But the other reason is, what if three months from now, my opinion, you know, you bought something that I said on the radio on my say-so, and our opinion changes, right? I, I, have, I have no obligation to come on. Like, this isn't a stock and bond purchasing tip show. So I'm just telling you what we've looked at and considered, and, and we're at least presently, we're, we're adding money to. And, and that can change as the situation changes. It, it probably will, right? I never know if it's going to change in a month. Uh, a year or five years, what our opinion on certain parts of the market is. But uh, again, the the bond market as a whole, the long-term bond market, I still find is you're taking more risk for the return than you ought to be. So by and large, we're not heavily involved in it right now. And, and the other, the, the corollary to that, the flip side to that coin is fortunately, we can get close to 5% or, or a little bit more taking very, very little risk. I, I think short-term treasuries still can pay 5% plus, uh, you, you know, zero to three-month treasury bonds or, or funds that own those. So, you know, that's the highest level of safety that you can get in the United States as a treasury bond, in my opinion. That might not even be an opinion. That just might be a fact. But, you know, when CDs, you can throw CD, FDIC-insured CDs, throw them in the mix too if you can get ones that pay comparatively. Uh, it's all safe money investing, right, for, for the safe portion of somebody's uh, savings and, and or investments. And it just depends on your goals and what the money's for and that type of thing. But I've been talking to clients about this over the last few months because they'll say, well, Tom, should, should we get some money out of those and invest it? And these clients already have plenty of other money invested that we're managing for them in, uh, you know, more – uh, market-oriented or, or uh, the other types of investments we own in our diversified portfolios. But my answer for should we take a bunch out of these money markets, I'm like, you know what, at 5%, that is an investment. It's savings and an investment. Let's say inflation is 4%, right? When's the last time you could get basically savings? And there are high-yield savings accounts also that are FDIC-insured, it's hard to get that at your local bank. Usually you have to go online or whatever. But anyhow, my point is, when's the last time that we've been able to make more in our savings, our short-term savings, money markets, short-term treasuries, than inflation? If you go back two years, inflation was 9.6%, and similar type investments were paying 1% or 2%. Right? That was a 7-plus percent kick in the teeth that you were losing in buying power every year you stayed in that investment, which a lot of people did because they didn't want the risk associated with the stock and bond market. Because, like I said, in 2022, I think the bond market 
where a lot of advisors and investors keep their quote-unquote safe money, I think the aggregate bond was down like 20%. Don't quote me on the exact number, but it was within a few percent of 20% down on those. So people that had their money in safe money markets or, or savings accounts, you know, high-yield savings accounts or treasury, short-term treasury ETFs or, or, or treasury money markets, uh, they did awful well compared to the bond investors, right? But they didn't do very well compared to inflation. Well, now you can. Now you can, especially if you already own a home, right? You own a car or cars. A lot of the inflation that we're seeing today, you know, the price of homes being through the roof, that's not directly affecting you if you've owned your home for 20 years, right? We bought our current home in 2000, I think. Let's see. So that's 24 years, 23 and a half years. We've owned our, our current house. We refinanced it along the way at a reasonable finance rate. Now our mortgage is, is very low. want to have it paid off by the time I'm 60. But the point is, the, the fact that our house, if we bought it today, it would cost more than twice what we paid for 23 years ago. Uh, that inflation hasn't hurt me. Now, the flip side of that that people forget, it doesn't help you either. Because if you sell your house, you got to live somewhere. And if you're going to rent, rents are way up. If you're going to buy a different house, that house is going to be way up in price if it's a nice house or, or a decent house like you'd like to live in. And if you want to move out of state, I got clients going to North Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, right and left here. The prices are up even more in those places. But as long as you're living in your house that you've owned through this inflationary period, your net worth went up, but it's kind of fake net worth because it's just, you know, it's a place to live as a house. So maybe you feel better about the, the value, but but whatever. It doesn't really help you, but it doesn't hurt you. As opposed to a younger person or somebody new in the housing market, that they're taking the full brunt of this doubling of the prices of homes or doubling of rents. So, But my point is, for a lot of our at going into pre-retiree and, and recent and, and uh, current retiree clients, right now is kind of a great spot to be earning in a very, very low-risk investment more than the current rate of inflation, especially your own current rate of inflation. So I look at, like, like I've seen people on Wall Street, when I, when I watch the financial shows, they talk about how all this money that's come into money markets out of banks and into short-term treasuries out of banks, that's dry powder fuel to be poured on the stock market fire and drive the stock market higher. I've said before on the show, I totally disagree with that because I talk to real people and I do real investing. That money, th those people that have done that and are making 5% in the money market right now with, with little to no risk, uh, they're tickled pink by that. They're not, they're not saying, oh boy, I can't wait to get this money at risk of the stock market at an all-time high, right, S&P 500 or whatever. They're not saying that. They, they probably also have money invested in the market. But this is their safe money, right? And they couldn't be happier than earning better than the inflation rate for the first time in recent memory, right? For the first time in recent memory. So the bottom line is, the bottom line is, I and our firm often and certainly currently have a different view on the bond and, and fixed income and or safe portion of, of clients' portfolios and what they should be doing with it. Uh, you know, we'll see how this plays out over time. I, th I think the fact that it's looking more like less race rate cuts, if any, 
this year uh, is evidence on my side of the ledger for this. Because, again, I don't see the Fed. They're going to reduce rates if they have to, but that means the market is taking a kick in the head. And being invested in some of these other investments might not be so great either. And what I was talking about is very liquid short-term investment. So anyhow, just a, just a discussion of bond and safe investing. Uh, it's something we've been talking to our clients about a lot, a lot, to make sure that most or all of their money is now working for them, right? Rather than sitting in a bank account earning nothing, Uh there's all sorts of other options that either you, you, you don't increase your risk level at all or you re- increase it a tiny, tiny bit to go into something that, that pays a much better rate of return than most banks are. Like I said, there's some online banks. I know my kids are using online banks that, that have high-yield savings accounts that are 4 4.5%. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's a lot better than zero also. That's a lot better than zero that you're getting in a lot of uh, checking and savings accounts. So it's a market that's really changed a lot over the last two years. And uh, again, we've worked very hard with our clients and put a lot of effort into making sure that they're taking advantage of whatever they can in this type of market, in this type of market. Okay, Bobby D, let's take a break. We're going to come back. And we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, AI investing. Not sure I've addressed this topic on the show before, maybe once a while back. Uh, It's the hottest topic in stock investing right now. So it's something I want to talk about, uh, the pros and cons, and get people ready for what maybe is to come. You're listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Be right back. This is Wall Street to Main Street with your host, Tom Hamilton. Welcome back to Wall Street to Main Street. Yes. So, so, okay. So I promised to talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and AI investing. So the hottest topic on Wall Street is artificial intelligence companies, AI companies. And... I caution investors in the utmost on this. Again, I'm not predicting the demise of artificial intelligence and saying it's not going to happen and not going to be a big thing. I fully believe it's going to be huge, okay? I don't think there's anything around, any way around that. That That is the for analysis and advertising and development. And there's just so many applications that this can be huge in. But this run up in prices for a handful and now a growing handful of companies just because they say they're very involved in artificial intelligence and maybe they are involved in it. Uh, the, the price run up on a lot of these stocks, and we don't give individual company advice or even individual sector advice here on the show. Uh, so I, that's why I'm talking so general. But if, but if you follow this at all, you know what companies I'm talking about, at least some of them. This smacks to me so similar to the dot-com and fiber optic company run-up in the 1990s. And I, I, was an, I was a financial advisor. I started in 1995. So by 1998, 99, the, the, the peak of the hype of the dot, what they called the dot-com, but people forget it wasn't just dot-com. It was anything technology or fiber optic. The companies were just going through the roof, 
without the earnings to support those stock prices. And everybody said the Internet's going to be huge. These companies can, go, can grow to the moon. The prices can go on forever because the Internet's going to be huge. Well, they were half right. They were half right. The Internet, of course, was huge, right? Companies that use the Internet and, and continue to use the Internet are the biggest companies in the world today. But those weren't the companies that were, in general, they weren't the companies that were most hyped in the technology.com run-up, which I remind people, the NASDAQ, the technology index, mostly technology NASDAQ index, went down 80, 80%, okay? So that means if you had a, a, a million dollars, after that you had $200,000, that means you needed 500% growth to get back to a million dollars, to a hundred. So it could have been a hundred thousand that went down to 20,000. Doesn't matter. You needed 500% return after that kind of kick in the head to get back to where you were. So why do I think this sounds the same? Well, the, the story then was uh, so a couple examples here locally. Right. I mean, there were tons of examples. I, again, we don't give individual company advice, but one of the companies that was the darling of that era, was Corning. And I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I do know that at the very least, Corning went from $100 a share at the peak to $3. Okay, 100 to 3 Now, why did they go up like that? Fiber optics. They were a big supplier of fiber optics, and the whole world was getting connected by fiber optics, which, by the way, it has. It has. It's just the hype outdid the reality. Now, th this is 24 years ago, right? 24 years ago when Corning went from, or 23, when it went from 100 to 3 or thereabouts. This has nothing to do with Corning today. I have no opinion on Corning as an investment. So that's not what I'm talking about. But you think that's bad, 100 to 3? Global Crossing, which, by the way, many local shareholders or, or investors own because they had bought the old Rochester telephone, right, a, a conservative dividend-type stock. Global Crossing went from whatever it went to, through the moon, to the moon, to zero, okay, out of business. So I just caution people, the fact that artificial intelligence is very likely to be a huge part of our economy and, and a growing influence on the world, that doesn't mean... This company, that company, that here in the early stages are the hype companies in artificial intelligence. That doesn't mean that they get that they uh, warrant stock prices that go up ten thousand percent or a thousand percent in weeks or months or a year. Even to me, I think we see we have the makings of the dot com crash happening all over again. Right. My advice is to be very careful about getting caught up in it and know what you're doing. And, and know what the risk you're taking before you do it. You want to get a hold of me and talk about your investments, your financial plan, whatever, right? Talk about the show, whatever you want to talk about, HamiltonWealthManagement.com. Hit the Contact Us button or call us. I'd like to talk to people. Again, it's HamiltonWealthManagement.com. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next Friday. The opinions voiced in Wall Street to Main Street are offered for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, or financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Advisory services offered through Wealth Plan Partners. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Wealth Plan Partners, Hamilton Wealth Management, and Securities America are separate entities.
Chan. 